0: So nice to have you guys with us. I didn't even know there were this many people in the whole town of Big Sky right now. It's kind of lean this time of year, right? Well, back before COVID shut down the movie theaters, one of my children's favorite family activities was when we'd all go out to the theater and see some new movies. And I have so many happy memories of afternoon screenings of films like The Call of the Wild or Star Wars or some of the Toy Story series. But there was one particular movie that did not go over very well with my family. In 2015, Pixar released a film titled Inside Out. And it's an animated look at the internal feelings taking place within an adolescent girl during a difficult time in her life. And I think my wife and I were enjoying it. It's a funny look at how our internal feelings impact our outward behavior. But there was no mystery to if my kids liked it or not. Because about 30 minutes in, one of my boys shouted out in a packed theater as loud as he could, when are the bad guys coming? (laughs) And the entire theater laughed because when you're eight years old, you have zero interest in a movie without fighting. You don't, you don't understand that sometimes in life we are our own antagonists, right? When you're eight and your dad takes you to the movies, you want to see robots with lasers shooting at the hero, right? Show me some car chases or I'm out of here. Well, for the next three weeks, the next three sermons, we're going to study the book of Ruth. And as you guys recall the story, as you guys skim through the story in your Bibles, Many of you are going to have the exact same reaction as my son. You're going to skim that story and you're going to say to yourself, where are the bad guys? Because Ruth is one of the only narrative stories in the whole Bible that doesn't have a villain, doesn't have an antagonist, doesn't have bad people. It's almost entirely dialogue-driven. It's all about relationships. And it's structured much more like a play or a Hallmark, or a Lifetime movie, than it is an action movie. But all to this point, I believe that there's two or three central lessons in the story of Ruth that are absolutely perfect for the time and the moment that we find ourselves in right now. Because the story of Ruth is all about how you can go from empty to full in a time of national crisis. Is there anybody here right now that's interested in what the Bible has to say about how to go from empty to full in a time of national crisis? Do you guys ever have COVID freakouts? Every once in a while, I have a COVID freakout. I had one yesterday morning. I woke up and I thought to myself, I am sick of being stuck inside. I'm tired of my kids not going to school. I miss my family member and friends that are just wisely deciding not to travel right now. And as I said last week, I was discouraged about the election regardless of who became president. I'm sure you guys have had moments of COVID freakouts as well. Moments of discouragement and emptiness. But that's what makes the story of Ruth so timeless, so classic. It's about a family that finds itself about ready to disintegrate. It's about two characters that have very little. First two chapters, they're literally just trying to find enough to eat. It's about a country that's devoid of spiritual direction. And it's about some of the most poignant questions that we ask ourselves during an epidemic. Will God keep His promises? And what can I do to find God's favor and blessing in such a low time like this. So, in summary, there's no car chases in Ruth. There's no killer robots in Ruth. There's no villains. There's no miracles. There's no bad guys. But if you guys are willing to study it with me in the next three sermons, I'm confident that you will be inspired at the lessons that it teaches on how to go from empty to full in a time of crisis like this. Hope you guys got an outline when you came in. The outline uh, for our intro to Ruth sermon this afternoon will be this in section one. We'll just refamiliarize ourselves with the story, but we'll do it very quickly because that video familiarized us with it so well. Section two, we'll talk about the two or the three unique parts of this story that I think just connects it to us in this time that we're in right now. And then in section three, we'll talk about the so what, because nobody just wants to be in English class. Nobody just wants to learn more about a story. And that's not what the Bible's about anyway. It's about stories that communicate uh, to us what God wants to communicate with us in the moment that we're in. So let's really quick go through the story of Ruth and just kind of refamiliarize ourselves with what it's all about. It's about a conventional family that's disrupted by unexpected events. And maybe you guys can already connect with that. Maybe you can already relate to that. Maybe you feel like at one point you've been a part of a conventional family, but unexpected forces have compromised that. In this case, it's famine and it's death. Naomi has lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. And in that time and place, that means she's lost any realistic opportunity to have an heir, to have a grandson or a granddaughter. uh, And they're actually reduced to welfare at the start of this story. So we continue to talk about what's going on in the the book of Ruth. The next thing that happens is their direction. The direction of their fate is redirected. That's what's so beautiful about the story of Ruth. They're experiencing famine. They're on welfare. They're trying to find enough to eat. They're going to lose their family land. Everything is headed in a terribly disastrous direction, but their fate is redirected because of one woman's extraordinary faith and friendship. Right? Nobody's like, I just really need less faith and friendship in my life right now. These are things that we all need more of, and that's what's so inspiring about the story of Ruth. One of the main things I want us to focus in on this week and the next two weeks is how almost all the main characters in this story go from empty to full in all the different measurable categories in their life, economic, relational, hope, etc In Ruth one twenty-one. Uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law, who's lost her husband and her two sons, she says this as she kind of summarizes her emotional state and her future prospects. She says, I went out full and empty did the Lord bring me back. Like the writer is, this isn't just something the pastor is saying. The writer of the story, the narrator is literally telling us that this story is about going from empty to full. And then what's the final image In the book of Ruth, in Ruth 4.16, it contains a potentially awkward, but also beautiful picture. In the original Hebrew, it says that uh, Naomi is actually nursing her grandson. And we know that medically it's possible for somebody who's not a biological mother to actually nurse an infant. And it's telling us that that's what's happened in this story, okay? Again, I'm tiptoeing this, this is awkward, but... In chapter one, this woman has said her name is Mara. Her name is bitter. And what is bitterness? But an an absence of hope. Her life is empty because she has no hope. But then the story ends with her with this picture overflowing with life giving sustenance. Okay, the author doesn't want us to miss that. The author wants us to know that this woman has not only gone through an outlook of emptiness to hope, uh, but uh, her life is actually overflowing uh, with community and, uh, and, 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 and um, nurturing at this point. As that video uh, also concluded with, uh, this story also has an important part in the larger scope of the Bible, and it's this. If you guys have ever paged through the Bible and just thought that it was all these disconnected stories and wondered how these stories got put in the Bible and what, if anything, they all have in common? I've certainly asked myself that before. Well, there's this character in Genesis named Abram. His name is changed to Abraham. And God gives him these promises. They're called the covenantal promises. And the promises include things like, I will bless your descendants and make them a treasured people. I will, give, uh, I will bless the whole world through those people. Later on, we're given this promise that uh, through Abraham's descendants would come a great king. There's probably between a half dozen and a dozen of these promises. And all that to say, every single story throughout the Old Testament is connected by those promises. Either those promises will come true or come closer to becoming true through that story, or the the people will be unfaithful and the promises will be extinguished and they won't come true. And that's what all the stories of the Old Testament have in common. So what later readers would bring into this story is that they know that through Abraham's line, a great king was promised, but it's about to dry up. The descendants are about to end. There's hardly anybody in Israel that still is holding to these promises. And then this foreigner Ruth holds to the customs and the hope of Israel. And then we're told that through her offspring, that almost didn't occur at all, uh, David and then later Jesus come into the world and those ancient promises Uh, that much closer to completion. So those are some of the exciting things that are happening through this story. And let's move on here to section two. It's just supposed to be an introduction today. I wanna keep it short. I want to leave you uh, with the idea that less is more. I wanna fill you with the curiosity to go home and read this short four chapter story on your own. So what are some connecting points? What are some things that should really make us intrigued by this story in 2020? The first one is this. The antagonist or the tension in the story in Ruth is, I believe, the... The Antagonist in the Tension in Our Story in 2020. It tells us that this story occurs in the time of the judges. It's just this lawless period in the Old Testament where Israel doesn't have a king and these tribal chieftains kind of rise up and they've got their good moments, but they're pretty much degenerates. They don't really still understand what God had taught in the, um, in the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. So it's kind of this rudderless spiritual time in Israel's history there's not strong moral leadership, people are forgetting God's ways, and the nation is undergoing a great crisis. And I feel like that's very similar to what we've gone through the last four years and what we're faced to go through in the next four years. Uh, Our church, our country, uh, we're often devoid of strong moral leadership, and that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in here in the book of Ruth. So we should feel connected because what we can learn from that story back then would have a strong application to what we're going through now. Here's another interesting connection point to the story of Ruth, and that it's, it's crafted out of a bunch of the reversal of some patterns that we see throughout the Old Testament. And I know this is starting to sound like English class again, so I'll try to talk about it as quickly as I can, but There's stories in the Old Testament, or I should say patterns, that repeat themselves over and over again. One of those is the Abraham story, okay? And so whoever is the narrator, whoever is writing the story of Ruth, they're intentionally writing it in a way that is showing us that it's a reversal of the Abraham story. I promise this will be interesting. So Abraham was left Israel by faith. But what does Ruth do? Ruth enters Israel by faith. Um, Sarah, Abraham's husband, or um, Abraham's wife, she was barren, but she was given a child in her old age. Ruth is given a child in her young age. Abraham was quite wealthy, Ruth was very poor, etc. So it's like a retelling of the Abraham story, but everything's opposite. Too many, coinc- too, too many connections for that to just be a coincidence. Here's another reversal. Up to this point in the Old Testament, every time an Israelite got married or relationally involved with a Moabite woman, it was bad. It was a curse. You can go back and you can read places like Numbers 25, 1 to 3. Every time an Israelite in the Old Testament up to this point gets romantically intertwined with a Moabite woman, it's a curse and bad things happen. But here in the story of Ruth, Israel is saved, and this family is good things happen because of their involvement with this Moabite woman. The reason I think that's an important connection point is because the author is showing us that God works in unexpected patterns, and God works through unexpected people. I think six or seven months into COVID, like, we're all just in this daze. We're all just... Spiritually drained. We're all just waiting for this to end. And what a beautiful reminder that God works in unexpected ways, God works in unexpected patterns, and God works through unexpected people. That's what the book of Ruth is all about, and I think that should be incredibly encouraging to us. Waiting for a breakthrough, waiting for something fresh, waiting for a new act of God. How encouraging that he often does it in unexpected patterns, in unexpected times, and through unexpected people. And finally, here's a third connection point. We talked about how the the tension or the obstacle or the antagonist in this story is similar to what we're going through right now. I think the solution in the book of Ruth is similar to the solution that we need right now as well. So God's plan goes forth. The people are blessed. And how does the solution come? It comes because Ruth demonstrates great faith, obedience, and loyalty. All right, let me challenge you guys with something. If you ever come to church and hear this sermon and you roll your eyes and you think to yourself, There's, I don't face any physical giants. I don't actually go into physical battle. There's no incredible plagues in my life. If you ever think about these miraculous things in the Old Testament and you think that's just not my reality, if you ever had that reaction and I've had that, you have to be drawn to this story because this is a story about how we can go from empty to full and we don't need miracles. We just need to have the discipline to have faith and obedience and loyalty. Does that make sense? And if you ever shrug your shoulders at the dramatic things of the Bible and say, well, that's just not what I go through day to day, here's a story about the everyday, routine, regular life that most of the people on this planet have and the way that Ruth experiences God's blessing and favor are super applicable and realistic for us. Just ask the outcome that she experiences is applicable and realistic for us as well. So let's wrap up with uh, two quick things of the so what. Like, Ruth is a beautiful story, a more beautiful story than I could ever write. Uh, if you really understand it, it's more surprising and beautiful than anything that we would see on TV, but so what? Is it intended to be more than just a beautiful story? Well, first of all, I think in the next three weeks, as we get more familiar with this story, we're going to feel God steering us, God directing us as to how we can go from empty to full in our lives in this moment. Ruth is a demonstration of how to unlock God's favor just through faith and obedience and goodness and loyalty. Let me ask you a couple questions. Are most people on social media right now people of faith, goodness, and loyalty? Not typically what you see on social media. Are most of our politicians examples of faith and goodness and loyalty? Most of our politicians are not examples of those virtues. And the heroes that we watch in movies are typically characterized by self-confidence and aggression and violence and action. But the story of Ruth, in contrast to all of those things, is one of the Bible's clearest lessons on how we can experience God's blessing and favor as we follow Ruth's example and live lives of faith and goodness and loyalty. Uh, Secondly, this is also an incredible story of God keeping His promises. And I think right now in this moment we all need dramatic reminders that God is going to keep the promises that He's made in your life. Another thing that we see throughout this story is that God is teaching that not only does he keep his promises, but he keeps it through the most unexpected people. Uh, And uh, another week we'll talk about, there's this mention of this character from the book of Genesis, this strong, faithful woman named Tamar. And uh, it's not a story that you've probably ever heard a sermon about, because it's a wild one. And uh, it has a lot of disconcerting things to it. But Tamar, like Ruth, has faith that God will keep his promises, even when the other characters in the story don't. And God's promises get passed on and fulfilled because of the faith of that strong woman. Same way, Ruth is a Moabite. Like, up until this point, Israelites have been discouraged from intermarrying with the Moabites. However, God keeps his promises through Ruth. So, just as this lawless period of the judges ends and it seems that the promise that God would send a king will never be materialized, Israel gets that much closer to King David and to King Jesus through the faithfulness of this unexpected person. I know in future weeks, I know as you guys study this story, a light bulb will go off in your spirit that God does keep his promises. And in stories like this, it's just more evidence, more reminders that, uh, that he does keep his promises in unexpected ways through unexpected people. Let me wrap up with this quick story before the worship team concludes our service. On January 18th, 1941, let's have a little history lesson here, Winston Churchill had spent the weekend touring a bunch of naval bases uh, with his war cabinet, and they were now finishing up dinner in a dark Glasgow, Scotland, Scottish, Restaurant, and they had a famous, they had an important guest with them. Uh, the U.S. ambassador, his name was Harry Hopkins, and he was best friends with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the U.S. president at that time. He was an invited guest at on this tour because Roosevelt had sent him to kind of take stock of what the situation in England was like at that time. England was being bombed by the Germans for over a year. And they were about as close as you can be to surrendering. And if, they, if England would have surrendered to Germany at that time, the world, England as we know it, would have been forever different as uh, the Nazis would have overtaken all of Europe, maybe Russia as well. So here's where the story ties in with the story of Ruth. After this tour of all of the naval bases in that region, they were just finishing up their supper, and Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, was too proud to beg. He was too proud to beg the U.S. ambassador to come and to join in the war and to help save Britain, but he needed to know. And so, as the final uh, drinks and uh, food was served, he asked this guy, Harry Hopkins, What's your opinion? How will America respond to Britain's need uh, in the face of the German invasion? And in one of the most perfect literary quotes of all time, Harry Hopkins stood up in this dark Scottish bar. And he quoted Ruth 1, 16 to 17. His answer on if America would enter the war to help save Britain was this, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God will be our God. What a beautiful use of a quote from the book of Ruth. It wasn't the first time that the world was saved by that very pledge of loyalty. I'd like the worship team to come forward. And as some of these thoughts go through our mind again, I hope you guys are intrigued to read this story because not all of us experience miraculous things. Most of us are just regular, everyday people struggling with that issue of emptiness instead of fullness if you're desiring more fullness in your life, if you're desiring that God would do a work and bring more hope and bring more friendship and bring more community and all of these good things, I hope that you come back in the next two weeks. I hope that you study this book and I hope that you let God impress on your heart that we too can experience God's favor and the fulfillment of His promises as we pledge to live lives of faith, and obedience and loyalty like Ruth so heroically and beautifully models to us. Let's think about that as we wrap up with worship.